So God, you're welcome here. Thank you for all that you're doing. Thank you that you don't want to just load us up with information, but you want to change us. You're in the process of making us become more like Jesus. And today I want to say yes, please, for me and for us as a church family. Please, would you continue that wonderful work? We thank you that when you speak to us, you do it in such a wonderful, loving and gentle way that you don't come and condemn us. But if there are things that we need to sort out, you just gently convict us and nudge us to change. And so we pray for that today, where anything I say would make people feel condemned or criticised or guilty. We just say no to that. But we say you're welcome to come and do your work in us, Lord. Amen. So this week, I'm talking on the next chapter in the book, which is about how to become an emotionally mature adult. And you know, for me, as I looked at the chapter, the thing that struck me and the thing that we've been singing and talking about already today is that it's actually all about love. A key measure of how we're doing in our emotional health is not just about how we feel ourselves, but it's how we treat other people. And I was listening to um, a, a song by a songwriter, many of you will know, called Brian Dirksen. And um, it just struck me, this is a, a picture of him, and he just says, love, I won't sing it to you, I'll just read it, such an easy word to say, such a hard word to live. I want my life and words to say it well. Love, such a good and lovely thought, yet so tough to act upon. I want the things I do to say it well. And today is all about how we love one another, not just saying, oh, I love you. It's a very easy thing to say. But how we put legs on that and really put that into practice. Because as a church, we want to become people who love well. And you know, we're made, aren't we, to have relationship with God, first of all, and with other people. And so we're going to dig into what the Bible has to say about love today. The first verse I wanted to look at is in 1 John chapter 4, and it talks about the fact that God is love. And it goes on to say that we are people who love because he first loved us. Without his love, without understanding that and how much he loves us, it's very difficult to have any kind of resource to love other people. And you know, as you'll know, we obviously weren't here last week because of the snow, so I hope you enjoyed your extra snow Sabbath day. But the week prior to that, we had some students with us from Nashville, who many of you will have met. And... um, They had quite an impact on us, didn't they? For a lot of us who met them, they were really positive, loving, kind people. They remembered everyone's names after having only met us, you know, kind of once or twice. And I went into a room with um, where a number of them were sitting um, during the week. And as I walked in the room, they went, Joe, very bad American accent. Oh, you're awesome. Oh, Joe, we're so glad you're here. Oh, this is wonderful. And, you know, it was really genuine. And I just felt so loved and so special. I was just like, oh, yeah. Pats, I am awesome. Yeah, I am special. They think I'm amazing. And then I sat down, and a few minutes later, Amy came in, and they went, Amy, oh, it's Amy. Oh, Amy, you're awesome. Oh, Amy, you're so wonderful. Oh, Amy, you're so special. And for a minute, I just thought, oh, well, I thought I was special. I thought I was awesome. And now it's just Amy, is it? But it really struck me that actually that's the way that God looks at each one of us, doesn't he? He looks at every person, whatever your name is, fill in the gap. And for him, like them, it is genuine. This isn't something that he just says, oh, yes, Bex, I love you. Oh, yes, Tracy, I love you. Oh, yes, Tom, I love you. He actually genuinely means it. And he laughs and loves and sings and rejoices really personally and celebrates over each one of us. And so that's the love that he has for us. And in Luke chapter 10, verse 27, it says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, 
and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And love your neighbour as you love yourself. Quite a familiar verse to many of us. And as we look at that, the first thing is about us loving God. And as we understand how much he loves us, what he thinks about us, that he thinks I am awesome, that he thinks I am so special, that he celebrates my uniqueness, then the really natural thing to do is to love him back. And the way that we show that, well, we can say it and we sing it and we do, but the way that we show that is by spending time with him in worshipping and expressing that love for him, in drinking in his presence. And as we heard the other week about, you know, spending time to do that. I don't know whether any of you have had a go at practicing the daily office that um, Nigel spoke about a few weeks ago. Has anyone had a a bash at that, trying to put in some more regular times? Yeah, great. Regular times just to pause and connect, to stop, and to concentrate on God in that moment. So we need to be finding ways to express our love to him. And we do that too in the ways that we act and the ways that we choose to behave. Now, the next thing in that verse talks about how we love our neighbour. And we're going to talk about that in a few minutes. But if you look, it says that love your neighbour as you love yourself. And so if I don't love myself well, then how can I expect to love my neighbour well? And loving myself means some of the things we've been talking about in this series. It means understanding who I am uniquely made to be but also understanding what my limits are, that I can't expect to do everything, much as I'd love to be superwoman and do everything. There are limits around my time, my capacity, my gifting, and I need to be kind to myself and understand what those things are. And also something that would be really helpful, we also talked about, was about having Sabbath, loving myself enough to be obedient to God and give myself a day off. You know, last week we had to decide whether or not to cancel the service here because of the snow and whether it would be safe for people to come. I don't know about you, lots of us found, wasn't it just a treat to have an extra day? You know, as Nigel said with Sabbath, it's like having a snow day every week. And we, God really gave us one, didn't he? Time where we could just pause, where there wasn't anything else that we had to do. So we need to learn to love God. We need to learn to love ourselves. And then today we're going to be talking about loving others. And the Bible is full of really practical ways that we can do this. In John 15, Jesus said, As the Father has loved me, I've loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. And then later on, he reaffirms it. This is my command. Love each other. Now, you know, as I was looking at things today, I remembered a funny card. You may well have seen it. You may well even have bought it for somebody. And it's this one. There's a picture of a granny doing some hopscotch. And it says, growing old is inevitable. Growing up is optional. And in one sense... I suppose as you look at that card, you might think, yeah, that's great. Or you may think, no, that's terrible. Who thinks that's a great card that loves the sentiment behind it? Yeah, a whole crowd of us. Anyone think that's not such a great sentiment? Okay, I'm going to tell you why isn't. <laughs> Got some work to do this morning. This is a great card if we think that growing old means we're going to get boring, whether it means that we're not going to have fun in our lives, whether we're going to be fuddy-duddies. Of course, that's not what we're thinking about when we think about growing old, or I hope you don't. There are wonderful people, more mature people in this church family who are not old and not boring and not past it. There are so many, and that's a wonderful thing. 
So we do obviously want to keep the fun. And if you want to be hopscotching when you're 93, then brilliant, go for it. But actually, what we're talking about today is about our emotions. In an emotional sense, we all do grow older, don't we? However we battle to keep looking like we're not. Chronologically, we're growing older. I've got a birthday next week. I can't do anything to stop that coming. I'm quite excited it's coming, actually, because I like birthdays. But as the years pass on, we can't do anything to stop growing older chronologically. But some people get stuck in growing older emotionally. And that's why I think this is a bit of a bad card. Because when we're talking about growing emotionally older, the truth is, actually, it is optional. Growing up is optional. But it's a shame, and really, it shouldn't be. And I'm going to unpack that a little bit more. As we grow up emotionally, what that looks like is having maturity and wisdom and making good decisions. Not losing the fun of things, but actually gaining things that are of real worth. And as I look around the room, I can see many people who are really old in years and old in emotional maturity too. And we celebrate you and we're really grateful to have you as part of our church family. You know, a friend of mine, when we're talking about parenting and things, used to say this. A tantrum looks okay on a three-year-old. It might be understood on a 13-year-old, teenagers going through all kinds of stuff, but it is out of place on a 30-year-old. And as we grow older, we need to work out how we're going to deal with our emotions, don't we? So that we mature along with our chronological age. And it might be that you're looking at the guy on the floor and you just think, well, I don't have tantrums like that. But have a little look at this cartoon. Is this what your tantrum or someone you know's tantrum might look like? I don't know if you can read the words, but there's a mum talking to her daughter and she says, we do not stomp our feet and cry at public events. We give cold stares and we have other plans at Thanksgiving. (laughs) And so sometimes having a tantrum might look about making a loud noise, but sometimes it might be our way of just having a cold shoulder and not responding well. So growing into an emotionally mature adult is a choice. It's a decision. I guess it kind of is optional, but as a church, we want to be people who've made those choices to do that. And this book um, discusses or talks about a number of different stages of emotional maturity. It talks about some people being emotional children, sorry, infants, others being children, others being like teenagers and others being grown up. And if you want to dig in some more, you can have a look at the book. Um, I'm not going to go into that detail in detail today. But basically, the summary is that just like real babies who think the world revolves around them and who are there to have their needs met all the time, people who are emotionally like babies or infants respond like that. They expect to get their way all the time. And just as our teenagers, we need to teach them and show them that actually the world doesn't revolve around them and that there is a wider perspective and other people's opinions and that it's not just all about what they want. That's the same about growing into emotional maturity. And as we're, when we go to be adults, hopefully the way that we see the world is that we are an important part of it, but so are the other people around us. That God's made us all to be unique, to be special, with gifts and talents and abilities and able, ability to contribute. And so as emotionally mature adults, we're able to understand who we are and understand who other people are. And they're not there just to make life work for us, just to get what we want from them. 
but they're, but they're because they have a contribution to make and that we're to treat them well and to treat them with dignity. You know, it's tricky, isn't it? Those of you who've got children or grandchildren or um, have got children in families around you will know that as children grow up, parents have to find ways to kind of let them grow up and let them do that. They don't always make the decisions that we hope that they would. But it's important as they grow up that they get to understand the consequences of that and get to experience those consequences. If I, as a mum, am always there looking after my children and kind of covering every eventuality much as I'd love to be because I think that would keep them safe and protected. When they reach the big wide world, they're not going to be able to know how to cope. And so as people who are growing up, me being emotionally mature, I have to find ways to let my children make their choices and decisions, to make mistakes sometimes, which they will do, and to be with them and support them as they deal with the consequences. So maturity for me is recognising that they are individuals who can choose and can do things on their own. Amen. Thank you. And so I thought a little bit more and said, so what does love really look like? Now, there's a dead famous passage in the Bible that many of you will have heard at weddings and may well know, and it's from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And because it's familiar, I thought we could read it in two different versions. And so I've asked for Nigel to come and read it in the NIV version, which is a familiar one, and then Judy to read it in the message. So would you both like to come up? Um, The words are on the screen, and you might want to follow it on the screen, or instead you might just want to close your eyes and let these words kind of wash over you. But this is what the Bible says that love with legs on looks like. If I speak in tongues of men, angels but have not love I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge and if I have a faith that can move mountains but have not love I am nothing if I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames but have not love I gain nothing Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth, it always protects always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Nigel. Thank you, Nigel. And Judy's going to read from the message. If I speak with human eloquence and angelic ecstasy, but don't love, I am nothing but the creaking of a rusty gate. If I speak God's words with power, revealing all his mysteries and making everything plain as day, and if I have faith that says to a mountain, jump, and it jumps, but I don't love, I am nothing. If I give everything I own to the poor and even go to the stake to be burned as a martyr, but don't love, 
I've got nowhere. So no matter what I say, what I believe, and what I do, I'm bankrupt without love. Love never gives up. Love cares more for others than for self. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut, doesn't have a swelled head, doesn't force itself on others, isn't always me first, doesn't fly off the handle, doesn't keep score of the sins of others, doesn't revel when others grovel, takes pleasure in the flowering of truth, puts up with anything, trusts God always, always looks for the best, never looks back, but keeps going to the end. Love never dies. Thank you, Judy. I don't know about you, but I find that quite sobering. I don't know whether you've ever had um, that example when people say, now look at that passage and where it says love, why don't you put your name in there? And as I read that, I think, wow, that's the kind of person that I want to be. But so often we do fall short, don't we? We do not always make the standard that we hope to make. But the amazing thing is that God is love, that he loves us so much that he forgives us every time we fail. And as we read in that declaration earlier when Dave was reading to us, his power is at work within us so that we can live in love, so that we can live well, so that we can make good choices. So I wanted to talk just for the last few minutes about how we love well as part of the church family. You know, loving one another well is really easy when things are fine. And this still this relates into other situations too. Obviously, your, your birth family and the people that you work with with your neighbours. So love works well when things are fine. But being emotionally mature becomes very evident when things aren't going so well. When there are conflicts and misunderstandings in relationships, which are inevitable. We all struggle with the things other people do. And as I look around the room, we have such an amazing kind of variety and breadth of people of different ages, of different backgrounds, different interests, different jobs. And so we're bound to rub up against one another, aren't we? And disagree with each other. And the same issue in the large church setting and also in a life group. When you go along to a small group, there will be people there who you click with and get on really well. But one of the joys of life group is there are often people who are very, very different to you and may not react in the same way that you do. And so I just thought, are there any practical tips that we can kind of have as we think about loving one another well and how we treat one another? Because the choices that we make in dealing with our differences and our conflicts are things that we can either help relationships thrive and do well or be broken forever. I don't know what, I imagine most people would know somebody either in a family or a friend who's been very close to somebody and then because something has happened, they don't talk to them anymore. Has anyone got, know people like that? Yeah, it's really common, isn't it? And the, the ironic thing is sometimes these conflicts happen and then something else happens and then something else happens and actually you can't remember what the first thing was that put you back up and why you didn't like them in the first place. But it just builds up and builds up and builds up. 
And I think that the principles that we're going to look at today can be really helpful to help sort out some of those things and prevent situations going down that route. And so I've got four little tips, four points, but also I've got two presumptions that I'm going to start with. And my presumptions are that as we do business as a church family, there are a couple of things. The first is that when, I'm going to use myself personally, when you're dealing with me, my assumption is that you're always believing the best about me and you're not assuming the worst. You believe the best and you don't assume the worst. The truth is that we all do things, we all say things that annoy people, frustrate them and wind them up. That's just the truth, isn't it? And you can choose, if I say something to you, whether you think, that Joe, she's just out to annoy me. She just did that on purpose. Or you can choose to think, oh, that was a bit odd that Joe said that. Wouldn't usually expect to say that kind of thing. Maybe it's been a busy day. Maybe I just misunderstood what she said. You know, this week I was um, in a meeting with Claire and prior to the meeting, I had promised to send her some really helpful information to email her, her some documents that would have made the meeting much easier for her. And I clean forgot to do it, completely forgot. And just before the meeting, Claire came to me and said, oh, I didn't get the email. I said, oh no, I'm so sorry. And Claire had had a choice, hadn't she? She could either have gone... Joe said she was going to send me that email. She never did. You know, she's always trying to get one up on me. If I'd had that that email in time, I could have made a really good contribution to that meeting. But actually, I didn't get it. She kept all that information back so that she looked really good in the meeting. Now, that's one option she could have had. The other option could have been, which I think is the one that she took, was to say, I know Joe's got a lot on her plate at the moment. She said she was going to send that, that that information. She forgot. I think I'll go and nudge her before the meeting and say, I haven't had it. Is it helpful for me to have it now so that I can have a quick look before we start? And that was the choice she made. But think about the paths that each of those conversations could have gone down. Had she chosen not to believe the best, had she assumed the worst, when she'd come into that meeting without the information, she'd have been sitting there like this. Okay, then. Yeah, okay, I knew you were going to say something like that. I knew that you were going to be in a situation where you knew what was going on and I didn't. Because actually, do you know, you're always like that. It's always a bit of one ump of shit with you, isn't there? I might be sitting there going, I only forgot to send the email. But actually, okay, I am busy. You've got no idea how much stuff I've had to do this week. It was one silly email. Why didn't you just ask me to send you that email? Do you know what I mean? Could have gone one way or the other. And maybe some of you are smiling because you've been in situations that have been a little bit like that. But sometimes we go in maybe up on this morning in the car, maybe we go in with a bit of a kind of expectation that things are not going to go well and that people aren't out looking for our best. So the first presumption is that as we work together as church family, and as we live together, that we're going to believe the best and not expect the worst. And the second presumption I'm making is that if you've got a problem with me, there's an issue, if there's something you don't understand, that actually you're going to come and talk to me and you're not going to talk about me. If I've done something that's caused hurt or offence, I genuinely am sorry because most of the time I try not to do it on purpose. (laughs) That's the truth, like all of us. But if I have caused hurt and offence, I'd much rather that you came and talked to me about it and then I could sort it out. And if I have done it on purpose, then I need to apologise, don't I, because I've done the wrong thing. But as it said in that passage, love cares for others more for self and takes pleasure in the flowering of truth. Now, this might be new to you, or it might be something that's just really natural. 
But here, we try to believe the best and we don't gossip. We know that gossip leads to broken trust and it leads to hurt feelings. And you know, if you pass on information about somebody else without checking it out with them, it may be that you haven't got the full picture. It may be that you don't actually know the truth. A few weeks ago, we had a conference where we talked about releasing words of life. And in Proverbs, it says that when we gossip, it's like speaking death. With their mouths, the godless destroy their neighbours. We don't want to be people like that. We want to be people who are speaking the truth. So if you hear, if you hear a whisper of something about somebody else, if someone's moaning about something, then the thing to do is to say, look, make it personal, okay. So if somebody says, you know, Joe said this thing on Sunday, and it actually, I just thought I was completely wrong. It kind of got my back up the way she did that. Rather than sitting there going, actually, I agree with you. Actually, I've been thinking about that, and I think that perhaps she's got a bit of an issue with something or other, and I, you know, I think she needs to resolve it. The better thing to do would be to say, why don't you go and talk to Joe about that? Why don't you go and get her to explain what was going on in that situation? Because then we can sort that out. But if you pass on information or half-truths that get passed around, then it only builds distrust. So those are my presumptions, that we're going to believe the best, we're not going to assume the worst, and we're going to talk to the person who we've got an issue with and we're not to talk about them. And then I've got four little points And I've called this how to have a good fight. (laughs) The boxing gloves need to be off. But the principle is there are four different things. The first is that you choose your battle. You know, sometimes when we're rubbing up alongside people who are different to us, there are differences in opinion, aren't there? And we need to choose, is this something that's actually an issue or is it not? Do we need to talk this out? Maybe we do. Okay, great. But maybe we don't. You know, as an example of this, we've got a a friend who, when he was growing up in the 80s, um, he had his ear pierced, and his parents were involved in leadership in a church, and um, he'd gone, David gone and had his ear pierced kind of secretly as an act of rebellion type thing. And the other people in the church came to his mum and dad and said, what are you doing about that? That is so outrageous. You know, that's really not what we do around here type thing. And his mum and dad just really wisely said, look, we just pick our battles. This is not a big deal in the scheme of things. If he chooses to kind of go off the rails or go and sleep with his girlfriend or whatever, we are, there are things that are more important to us that are ways that we would love to help him live well. This for us is not a big issue. We're not going to pick this battle. So the first thing you need to do is think, choose. Is this a battle that we really want to get into? The second thing is pick your timing. Sometimes I can be really bad at this. We're driving on the car. We're almost at our destination. I just say, oh, I've just remembered something. Can we just talk about this? And that's often not the best time to try and unravel something or sort it out. You need to choose a good time when you can talk well. We are, one of our friends, Andrew, who we used to work with, he was a pastor. And often on a Sunday, not often because people learned, but for a while on a Sunday, people would sometimes come up to him after the service and say, I'm bothered about this. or I'm, You know, this is frustrating or I feel really hurt about this. And he would regularly say, this is obviously a big issue for you and I would really like to talk about this. I want to understand how you feel. I want us to get to the bottom of this. But now's not the best time. It's quite busy on Sunday. There are loads of people milling around. Why don't we have time for coffee in the week? Let's have a chat. Let's hear each other. Let's find out what's going on. And that was always a much better thing to do than just to have a a kind of really quick conversation that didn't mean that they could hear each other well. So choose your battle. Choose your timing. And the third one, some of us will find this hard, and it's choose your emotions. 
I don't know about you, but if something's bugging me, I often want to sort it out straight away. And I often want to take my stuff into the conversation. I feel cross. This has made me feel bad. When you did that, I was so ashamed. As we saw in that conversation earlier on that Claire and I might have had but didn't. If we take all that emotion into a conversation, what it does is it just puts somebody's back up, doesn't it? It means you're not there to be able to deal with something well. It's much better if you can sort out your feelings, your emotions, and if you need to, forgive that person in the quiet of your own bedroom rather than take all that anger and all that angst into the conversation. We had a really, um, just a helpful, a helpful guidance one time about how to deal with an argument. And the, the people said, I'll jump up quickly, Nigel, would you? Yeah, Miss Nigel, you're the person I'm most likely to have an argument. Bless you, love. <laughs> but this is what we've learned. So they said, if you imagine this is the issue that you need to sort out, or in fact, maybe the lectern, this is the issue we need to sort out. Nigel and I can either stand opposite sides of the issue, the problem, whatever it is, and kind of try and throw solutions at each other and sort this out and sort that out. And if we do that, if we're not careful, sometimes things won't be a solution to the problem, but we'll skim over the top and we'll hit the other person in the face. And Nigel might respond and say, well, actually, yeah, the solution, I think we should sort out this. Think of a live issue. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> I think we should sort this <laughs> Let's not do that. (laughs) This is what happens if I go off-piste. Not a good idea. If this is our problem, we don't want to be throwing missiles at it to try and solve it that could hit each other. Instead, what we need to do is together we need to look at the issue because we've decided that we're going to resolve this. And as we address the issue and we throw things at it, and we might even get cross at it, cross at this situation, there isn't anybody on the other side apart from all of you who might get into the crossfire. (laughs) And so that's a good principle. Choose your emotions. Decide together that you're going to resolve whatever this is because love is the better way. And so if you're together in a church family, we've decided we are going to love one another. We're not always going to agree, but we are going to deal with things in love. And the last of these four points, once we've chosen our battle, decided, yeah, it is worth fighting, so we're going to choose a good time to do it. We're going to go in prepared because we're going to make sure our hearts are right. And then finally, we're going to choose our words. And we've talked about that a little bit, haven't we, already? If we choose words that accuse, that condemn, that criticise, that's rarely going to be a good way to, to respond. If somebody comes to you or to me and is like that, it's much harder to be the grown-up, isn't it? It's much harder to not respond like that. Whereas if we choose words that say, well, when this happened, this is how it made me feel. You know, if I talk about myself, I felt, in fact, not this is how it made me feel. I felt like this when when this was said or when you did that. Own the stuff, own what it is to you. And then it gives the other person a chance to respond, to understand where you're coming from and the effect that their actions or their words had on you. So an example of this could be, just a could be possible example. If Nigel's home late from work, it's a day that he's chosen or been, he's decided he's going to cook dinner for us all. The kids have all got different activities to go to in the evening. And Nigel being late home from work means that the kids are hungry. So am I. And that we're going to be late to do all the other things that we plan to do in the evening. Now I can choose as he comes through the door. I say, where on earth were you? I've been working hard too. You said you were cooking dinner. Everything is scuppered now. Or as he comes through the door, well, a couple of options, aren't there? I could have gone, he's quite late, why don't I start cooking dinner? That would have been a kind thing to do. 
oh, as he comes through the door, I say, look, can you just help me understand? Can we have a chat about this a bit later? Let's get on with dinner now. But afterwards, can you help me understand what happened? Because you did say you were going to come and do this. And it would have helped me if you could have just given me a call and let me know. That diffuses the situation completely, doesn't it? It makes a complete difference. And it may be that there was a really great reason that he had to be late that night. But we might decide going forward that actually if that reason comes up again, if there is traffic around the one-way system or an emergency comes in, that he's just going to give me a buzz and we're going to change our plans. So can we commit together, guys? Are you happy if we have this as a bit of an idea about how we're going to do things? That we say we're going to pick up our battles, we're going to choose the things that we disagree about and we need to resolve. We're going to choose our timing. We're going to choose our emotions. And we're going to choose our words. Does that sound okay as a bit of a principle as a church family? Yeah, about three of us agree. Great. So perhaps <laughs> the rest of you, perhaps you, you can have a little think about it this week. <laughs> and then we'll see next week. <laughs> because what basically is the alternative? The alternative is that we have disagreements, that we argue, that we don't resolve things. And we have pockets around the church. We have cliques, don't we? And Jesus said, look, I want you to love one another because that's how people will know who I am. You know, Roger, sorry, not Roger, um, Nigel and Judy both beautifully read those passages about love. When we go into 1 Corinthians 14, the very next chapter, it just affirms this and says, follow the way of love. Because that's what we want to do. Those are the people that we want to be. We see the marriages that break up. We see families that break because people don't know how to communicate well. So let's be people who deal with conflict maturely and try and follow Jesus' instructions and his way of love. Laura. Can we have the band back up, please? I think that um, the Holy Spirit wants to do um, a few different things this, uh, this morning. And one of them is just, um, as Joe's been talking, you've been thinking, yeah, I I'm probably have been there where I haven't had a good fight or I have had conflict with, with people, whether that's in the church or whether that's people in your family or people that you've encountered in life. And you feel like the the Holy Spirit is saying, right, it's time to it's time to change your attitude on that. You can't change what's happened, but you can change what you do now and going forward, and you can change your mindset on that. So if you'd like to um, if you'd like to have prayer for that, we can we can pray for you. And also, I feel like um, the Lord wants to um, just put His finger on some of the stuff that Joe talked about earlier, which is where. Um, we need to love ourselves well before we can love other people. And I felt this morning before we came to church that um, the Lord gave me a phrase, um, negative soundtrack, that um, there are some of you who you look in the mirror and you have this all of this negativity in your head um, about yourself, about who you are. And the Lord wants to change that soundtrack and put something different on. Um, so if there's if that is resounding with you because you feel like you can't love yourself well so how on earth are you going to love other people um that there's time to pray as well but we'll do um we'll worship first i think david might have a song um 
Excellent news. Um, we will worship first um, because just allow that the time to let the Lord soften your heart and ask him if either of those things um, are applicable to you this morning. Um, and then after the song, then I will, um, if anyone wants to be prayed for, there'll be time and space for that. So I'll just pray before... Lord, we thank you for these, um, these really wise words that have come from Joe this morning. And Lord, would you, would you be in those and would you be in the spaces that they need to filter down into, into our hearts? We had a word this morning that the Holy Spirit is just pouring water onto us as thirsty ground. And that to be ready to receive deeply... And that's the, the Lord is watering us as soil and loosening some of these issues and allowing them to float to the surface so that he can pull them out really gently. And so we ask you to do that this morning, Holy Spirit. We ask you to be here. We ask you to be pulling things out that don't belong in our lives. Do you come and be with us this morning?